All right, welcome everyone to Screaming Bloody Oranges, the Invisible Oranges podcast. Uh, on this special episode, we are going to talk 2020 uh, year end uh, in both heavy metal and also life. Um, but uh, joining me, uh, Andrew Rothman, editor in chief, Invisible Oranges, we have Joe April. Hey, and, everybody. Hey, Joe. And we got Langdon Hickman. Hey, Langdon. Hi, I'm the Joker. <laughs> Langdon's a joke. We've been talking for 45 minutes already, um, a little warmed up. Uh, but I think uh, in lieu of some kind of big fancy long intro, I'm sure you'll get plenty of introductory content as far as year-end reflection in the list posts themselves at the end of the year. Um, but for now, let's just leave it at this. 2020 has been... Bad year. Jesus fucking God Christ Almighty. And I'll just say Bad that. Bad year. Yeah, there it is. Now it's open. <laughs> Whew. It's a big one. It's It's... You know, and and one of the few solaces in this year has been that even compared to like movies where a lot of stuff has been pushed back, like in, you know, some bands have pushed albums to next year. There's still been a absolute wealth of music to deal with and to enjoy, um, you know, despite this hellhole. It's like, it's, it's sort of like the two industries that haven't been that deterred uh, is video games and music yeah well music in the sense like we don't want to discount the fact that live shows and that's a huge part of bands and just the industry in general aren't happening but i think as far as the flow of new music i mean there was a point where i think it slowed down a bit um and this is totally anecdotal uh, just from my end from the editor's inbox but it quickly it's just been constant throughout the whole crisis i think there's a need for the art and there's also a desire to create it maybe unlike not necessarily greater or less than before but different than before and i think people are capitalizing on that difference now to create some pretty compelling art and joe what you said yes there has been some truly standout heavy metal released in 2020 despite it all. i think there 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 are also there are also some practical things that i think that early on so obviously there were a bunch of records that were slated for this year at least recording sessions that were slated for this year as well um, and then for a certain amount of bands, like we can't neglect the number of bands that we know that broke up due to COVID and right. due to the financial constraints that, cause we've talked about before, most of these bands, even when, even when you think about the sellout bands, the amount of money that lives within this world is so pitifully small that this becomes sort of a ridiculous thing to really think about. And it, it's because of that really tight crunch that every single band is under. Like we found out recently that again, I bring them up a lot, but that's because this never fails to shock me. One of the guitarists in Mastodon has a side job because Mastodon isn't steady enough income. Mastodon, like mm-hmm. probably the biggest metal band outside of like, I don't know, like it would have to be like some ultra mainstream act. Like huge, yeah, like huge Metallica. Band They're not bigger than Metallica, yeah. but Mastodon. Oh one God, of the good Lord, yeah. no. Yeah, but um, that you know, we lost a number of bands, and that mm-hmm. that was really horrible um then you have a number of bands that had fully uh, fully finished recordings but had intended to drop a record in like june or something and in the midst of the pandemic they decided okay we're gonna push this stuff back uh when everyone was optimistically eyeing end of the year beginning of next year and you know it really hadn't set into a lot of people that because the information been out pretty much immediately it's like no this is going to be a two to three year hump just realistically thinking um 
And so, you know, some people put off records, but they were already recorded. And then once it became apparent, okay, this shit is not going to stop. We, uh, there's no point delaying it to make sure our record sells better because we'd be delaying it for three years. A lot of it's uh, bands release an album. They tour on that album. That's the goal. You can't do that right now. So that's, and yeah. And then you have a bunch of bands who likewise, you wind up getting as much as people get stuck at home. Most bands, like a lot of, a lot more bands than you'd think have pretty much fully switched over to direct input and home studio setups, just Mm -hmm. because the, the quality difference though it's there is so much smaller now and you can send your files off to a professional engineer who has a rig in their home um, I, I go so, so far as to say it's indecipherable a lot because you get people who yeah, are really it, good at home production really good it, um, if you're a home listener you would be hard pressed to ostensibly like, no difference yeah like you probably couldn't make an Ariana Grande record in your house you probably need a studio uh, yeah. for that but yeah, yeah, for yeah. most but yeah it's like through the midst of that we hit there definitely was a lull um mm-hmm. That, and I this wound up actually affecting my year-end ranking a lot. Um, the lull, I don't think, was even just in terms of releasing music. It was such a profound, like, emotional gap for me in the middle of the year that seemed to coincide with the slowing of releases that records that came out in January or February, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. I'm not trying to be cute. I'm not trying to minimize COVID with, like, and the severity of, like, you know, we're almost at 300,000 dead in America. It's, it's horrifying. That's just in America. But it literally feels emotionally like another, like like two or three years ago. It I'm is completely that weird comes out in February. to think that in this year that we talk about 2020 and in, in the scope of our list at the end of the year will be obviously late December tw- or, uh, 2019 up until we when we post. Um, you're right, Langdon. January, February felt like another fucking era <laughs> yeah like and i'm like complete, yeah. yeah like almost well, with another the, life yeah. with God, the yeah. lull i mean the lull for me i think was you know in, in looking at my own you know uh presumptive list and and obviously it's still changing right now but uh there wasn't a lot in the summer that just like immediately grabbed me and was like oh my god this is amazing like everything that i really liked from this year was like Somewhere between like February to maybe the beginning of May, and then I didn't really get into stuff again until maybe September. Um, so there's there's definitely a d- division. Oddly for me, I think I, I'm still really partial to stuff that came out in the early part of the year because of the lull. Because of the lull, I wasn't checking out newer stuff, so I was just going back to the stuff I'd heard you know, earlier and just playing right, a right. lot. And now, you know, in, in any record, you, know, you play over and over and over, you either get bored of it or, you know, it just starts becoming even more of a favorite. I think this, um, this, we definitely want to talk about this and that's, and that is like, it's, I don't want to open up the idea of like subjectivity and music because it's art. Like that's, that discussion could go on yeah. ad infinitum. Um, but what I want to say is that whenever you read a year end list, you are reading the writer's, experience you're not reading at least on our website you're not reading some writer jacking off saying oh this is number one this is number two this is number three you're reading like man these are the albums that like hit me and these are the absolute values of the emotional impact or the life impact or what what it meant to hear that album at that time so when you think about 2020 you got to think about like an album you heard in january could be worse than an album you heard in may but 
in your mind, you switch them because uh, life may have been a bit better in January than May, um, for you at least. So what I'm saying is that I think there's this inherent subjectivity we all have to be on the same page about, but also the fact that when you see numbers in an article, um, like a year-end list, at least on IO, like the writer may choose to say, hey, this is number one, and it, it's above all other albums, and that's fair enough. But for the most of us, and just in general, it's like we're not beholden to this rigorous like ranking of albums where we're saying this album was was is is physically or objectively better in any way than some other album. Um, we're saying that, man, in this fucked up year and this fucked up life that I have to deal with and in this in this crazy mess of shit that is going on, this is the music that like meant something to me. And I think translating that is often far more difficult than translating like, okay, this is some hyper-technical, very, very complex death metal with great ups and downs and this and that. Like, I think translating how an album really impacts your direction or your flow or your just your emotional state at any given time. That's the real juice. Yeah. I mean, it, we we run into this um the, this kind of problem a lot especially if you if you spend a lot of time which i'm talking to extreme metal fans so i'm i'm assuming that we've all run into this you see things on either twitter or facebook or um metal archives and comment sections things like that places where to be fair there are people who will suggest to you records that you've never heard of e- even for us i mean that's like I'll cop to that. There's like there's so much metal that comes out. Oh yeah, you'll never end. We, you'll never end. Yeah. We listen to so much more than we write about, like so much more. Like literally it's every week it's double digit records. And you keep it some of them start blurring together. But th- then there's always someone who's like, hey, what about this demo? And you're like, oh, I've never heard that one. That's oh, it's pretty good. You publish something about like, oh, here's a year end list. Thinking about last year when Blood Incantation was just sort of like the darling favorite of pretty much everyone, me included. And then you got a bunch of people who are like, ah, this is bullshit. All these people are trend hopping. I'm like, yeah, the big trend, progressive death metal. Oh, what a sellout. 20 minute long death metal songs. I can't believe these ludicrous trend hopping posers. Um <laughs> But context, then they'd be like, baby, context. But, but then sometimes they'd be like, well, you know, if they were really with it, they'd say this record was the best. And newsflash, I heard a lot of those records. They weren't as good. Some of them were really good. I'm not saying they were bad, but I'm like, there's this weird notion that it's like they only said that in order to. I'm like, I don't get anything for saying Blood Incantation put out the best record of last year. No one gave me anything. It's there's- like, oh, they... They might not get promos. Dog, we live in the age of Bandcamp and Spotify. No one needs a promo. Promos are nice, but like music's free, even though it shouldn't be. It's bizarre in how exactly what you're describing, how people will sometimes feel like everything has to be atomized like the idea that like if there's any trend that shows up then it has to be somehow like premeditated or constructed like sometimes work is good enough and and it's ex- it, it probably because it's been exposed widely enough that's certainly part of it like you know it's on a label or something so it gets attention like this you know if blood incantation was indie like no label support whatsoever it probably wouldn't be as well known probably wouldn't have gotten as as high up on people's rankings it's and the everything. magic mixture of elements that if all yeah. if the band does them all 
key and write. It, it you know, does. it yeah, it, you know, it's it's you know, when people talk about the formulas of success, you know, it's it's you know, talent and then it's showing up. Um, and, and, you know, and, and I guess that's part of the showing up aspect of it, that it's there if, if yeah. you're looking for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I kind of like it when, when I do look at lists and stuff, if, like if there are certain trends, cause I think it's sort of like, you know, it, you know, kind of can, you know, I don't know it. I do like to find like a certain type of zeitgeist, like a certain like what is the real cultural reverence or not reverence, relevancy. Yeah, Yeah. that's running through, and and I do think these manifest sometimes in certain attention to certain albums, certain attention to certain bands, Um, and if everything was just like well, everyone's favorites doesn't match to anyone else's, like all across the board, it would just sort of be this. You know, it would be kind of like you know comparing it to like geography. It'd be like just a lowland swamp, and and you couldn't right. tell one bit of mossy rock from another, and you'd just be like, I have yeah. no idea where to go or look or, or find anything in this. I think what people find then is that they see they we will call the fact that Blood Incantation was the most recognized underground death metal album of last year. That is information that information to some people is like the only information they see that and they're like, that is not true. And then I think that devolves into what Langdon was talking about, where people kind of flip out about that, that, that coming to be of the zeitgeist, so to speak. Um, and it, 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 yeah. it, it, t- it touches a bit on the element that, that you're talking about of how very, very rarely, at least on invisible oranges, when we have a numerical list, is it saying number one is the best? Number two is the second best. It's more like this it's is the like, first we just one that be I'm orderly. saying. Yeah, we just yeah. want to be orderly and like clean on the website. So yeah, it it's makes like sense. here's the first one. Here is <laughs> yeah. the second one. And uh, the the thought being a lot more of like here are like either notable or like must listens in in our view because that's the other thing is there. There's always I'm not I, I'm certain this is true of you guys. I'm certain I know this is true of other writers I've talked to. If you ask me to pick a top, like, five, maybe that's kind of easy um, in a certain way, because I just picked the first five that, you know, really resonate with me in some way. But there's this range. You give me, like, top 50, that's going to be hell for me, because I'm going to accidentally write down 230 albums that I liked. Mm. And then I'm going to be like, I have 50 of these? And like then, then the question is, how do I whittle down this many? If you give me like pick two records you thought were really good, I'm like, okay, I can do that. But then you're like, give me twenty five, and I'm like, holy, sh- holy shit! I've listened to so much music, and a lot of it's really good. And something that's twenty sixth best, oh, that means that it doesn't get mentioned at all. Oh my god! <laughs> so then you start doing the quiet ranking. Maybe, maybe this one isn't as good, but like I want to give it that platform that it wouldn't get otherwise. So. Here's and how I'm going to explain it to people this year. Think <laughs> of, and this might not work very well. Think yeah. of your year-end list like your OK Cupid profile. Yeah, <laughs> exactly that. Where it's like you are not you're not making some definitive statement about yourself. You're simply, at least in my mind, what you should be doing is showing kind of who or what you are as far as your taste in yeah. music, as far as a list or it's, goes. Or so it's like yeah. a snapshot. Exactly. Because the other thing is, it depends on when you're writing it, because that's oh, it does. some records that I sincerely loved in, say, January. It's not that, 
like, if you asked me then, I would have... That's the other thing that, that we bring up sometimes. When people bring up, like, oh, there's so much hyperbole in music writing, especially in heavy metal or yada yada. One, there's not much more in heavy metal than in other genres. I implore you to read um, blogs or websites that are devoted to other genres. It's It's similar. The other thing is... A lot of times those are very sincere at the moment that they're written. Like, you can't right. project forward. Fi- I can't tell you what I will think about this 15 years from now because we're not there yet. Pretty much. Um, <laughs> and the, uh, this winds up affecting the shape of things a lot. For, for me, I think with, with the list, um, you know, in, in you know, I'm assuming we're going to do as we did uh, last time, where like the 20 to 11 is sort of unordered, and then really we have the one to 10 as is the actual listed. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, like, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think of it as this competition where it's sort of like, well, the number one is objectively better than number two, or number two is objectively better than number four. It, it for me, it's kind of more like. This is a ranking of what I would recommend. Like, if you can only pick one album for the whole year to recommend to someone, it's like, okay, it's going to be my number one. And then it's like, okay, well, now we're going to allow you two albums. So you've already did the number one one. What's what's your second most that you would want to be like, you have to check this out? Yeah. Like, that's as that's far how- as what you think is Joe metal or what you think is good metal? Is it uh. Like- well, I mean, again, subject, it same subjectivity. Yeah. I, it's it's you know I, you know anyone's list where it's like I don't agree with anything. It's just like well, all right, that's that's just. Your but I think taste. suffice it to say, if I read um, your list in its entirety, I will get an idea of what well, yeah. musically you're really yeah. Yeah. Well, so yeah. I think this actually is a seg, an interesting segue into some of the records that I think we kind of communally agree upon because it's where you get like I'm. We've discussed this a bunch of times, and if you have read literally anything I've written, it will not surprise you. I am more of a death metal guy than a black metal guy. Shocking. The guy who has a death metal column likes death metal more. Joe, meanwhile, likes black metal more. So does so does John. Not that either one of us dislikes the other. Like, you know, we we yeah. all like both death metal Just and black metal. We, like things, and, and we yeah. talked about we all but, liked blood incantation. Well, maybe John didn't. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll fight John if he did. I'll, I'll do it. I'll fight. I'll fly to Chicago during COVID. And I'll be like, I'm going to give you COVID and beat your ass. <laughs> You're going to respect blood incantation. The riffs are tight. Just for people I, who don't know, that is a joke. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not going to fly during COVID. That's, that's a horribly... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> John, watch out. I do like the idea <laughs> no, of albums. He'll, he'll wait till COVID's yeah. down and surprise John. <laughs> I do like the idea of albums that we all agree on because Langdon's correct. Like, we all have our different, like, arenas that we sort of occupy. But yeah. at the same time, because we're journalists and also because we just all love heavy metal, we're, we're everywhere else, too. Yeah. But I think what? when you put uh, so, us in, so our, least- in our good zones, that's when we mm-hmm. shine individually. Like, Langdon, when he writes about death metal, he shines. Like real. I'm bright. so happy when I'm writing about death metal. I'm so happy. Uh, it's like it's incredible. <laughs> and Joe, when you get him on black metal, boom, 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 boom. It's like he knows he. I Joe, you love that shit. And I think, but, but it, this you, is where yeah, we... you're still versed in other spaces, though. And well, it, yeah. It, yeah, and and I wouldn't say like black metal is my only, but mm-hmm. no, Langdon. What were you gonna say? So, so it's bringing that up because that's when you start seeing if certain records are showing up as consensus things. This isn't. Mm-hmm. Oh, the the black metal people really like. Um, Lamp of Murmur. Mm. Like, I like it. That, that's what surprised me, is that, like, 
I'm norm. I normally turn my nose up really hard at like second wave imitation stuff. Like I just, I, I, I find it annoying. I find it annoying in the same way that a lot of people find like stoner doom annoying. So mm-hmm. I went into it extremely skeptical. I was like, okay, this is going to be big hype band, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go and rain on people's parades because. Lord knows a band like Lamp of Murmur isn't big enough for it to feel equitable for me to use a platform to call them bad. So exactly. I go in and I listen to a new record, and I'm like, okay, I do want to give it an honest shot. And it's fucking awesome! Yeah. And I'm like, holy holy shit! Um, same with, um, like, Passage de Vera. Like, I've never been huge into them. I like them. I've, I've liked every record I've heard, but I haven't been. Then it's... That one's John's record of the year. I'm calling that now. He's been saying that You're in private that and in public. It's going to be on my list for one. That passage. It was on Decibel's list. Um, yeah. But that's that's it's it's not unusual for an album that underground. How underground is that band anymore? I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. But well, they, it, have a, they have a legacy. Compa- so there's let's that. let's say that it's. I want to say that it's very challenging and compelling music. In that you need to sit down. You need to spend about two entire hours of your life listening to that album front to back, and you need to think hard about what you heard. And it's like not I everyone did. experiences music in that way. Um, and maybe, I mean, maybe, I, maybe. yeah. I mean, I, I could say it, it will probably not be on my top twenty. Uh, okay. And and part of that is is my own failings of not having that level of patience. Gotcha. I just do not it's a tough have that ask. kind of patience. It's, it's the same thing. One. Like, like f- I, I have very few, if no, funeral doom favorites because I do not have the patience, patience for that style yeah. of music. It's okay. Meanwhile, I'm a progressive rock guy. One year, I had a seven LP set as uh, one of my top ten records of the year. It was seven <laughs> records long. Yeah. I, I'm I get, stupid. Well, also, I, I don't value my own time. <laughs> it's fucked up. Yeah. I, I don't have hobbies. I sit around and I listen to records. I don't watch movies. I don't go outside. I just listen to music. I love it. Oh, I read books. That's the other thing. But you can do those at the same time. Exactly. I've That's very, why I need a long record. Yeah. If I don't have a long record, I'm spending more time setting up the records that I'm listening to than reading. Can't do that. I need a two-hour-long <laughs> black metal album. <laughs> I, I think, oddly enough, you know, and not to tangent too far, uh, I think for myself with my aesthetic preferences, I sort of have a Goldilocks tendency. Like, I don't like things too short. I don't like things too long. I don't like things just too much of one or the other. Like, I always try to find... Like to me, the aesthetic pleasure is in something that's well balanced. Right. Um, There's something like, to be said about that in all of heavy music, but especially black metal. As a black metal, as as a subgenre, as an extreme subgenre of extreme music, it is it is just I think by almost necessity, almost too much all the time. Uh, but yeah. but when you well, find that band yeah. that really nails that delicate balance, then you have what you feel like is kind of like a fine wine almost, right? Yeah. Is that where you're getting Meanwhile, at? Meanwhile, I'm a maximalist. I'm like, no, I want extreme metal because I want it to be extreme. I'm in between. Extremely I'm in between. Something. Joe and Langdon, I think I'm in between you. Langdon, yeah. you are way more extreme than I am as far as what you can listen to. Joe, I think maybe <laughs> I get somewhere where Langdon's going, but I get drawn toward your end too. Um, yeah. As far well, as they, my mind goes, yeah. yeah. I mean, the other thing too, like even with metal, you know, where again, a lot of bands, the impetus has always been just like, you know, go faster or go slower or like try to reach this new extreme for me it's always been like like you know that's enjoyable but if the songwriting i feel like isn't there then i don't care right like like for me it's like there has to be some sort of 
you know, good riffs, songwriting. I value that more than anything. Like, dude, have you heard this? This is the fastest thing ever. I'm like, okay, that's so it's, you know, it's, you know, Joe it's supposed to call it a gimmick, floor. but, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm not like, yeah. you know, I'm not the biggest grind fan and I'm not the biggest funeral doom fan. And right. that's, and I feel like those are two very extremes. It's like when stuff like I like grindcore, especially when it slows down a little bit, like it can be really fast, but then it has a dynamic where it'll go from super fast to, you know, what would be yeah. like thrash metal fast, like to, some John Chang shit or something. Yeah. It, it, like I, yeah, I, I enjoy when when a certain dynamic can be played with speed. Um, so bands in, in styles where it sticks to kind of like we're just going to put it in one gear and that's mm-hmm. it. Like there's a brick on on the drive and it's not moving. I, I get a little bored. One note, maybe. Let's let's do I mean, this. Let's um, let's um, let's find. Let's start. Let's start putting albums out there. I think we yeah. should. Yeah, we have. Um, yeah. Now here's one I think that I think Langdon. I know you love this album because you wrote about it. I love this album. Probably, I do. I love it so much, actually. And it took months for me to like. I liked it to start. I was like, this is good. And then I listened to it. And I'm like, this is really good. And then I listened to it more, and I'm like, this is like starting to really do something. It's Swevin. Um, the uh, yes. I, it's it is it is <laughs> the only. The only way I can criticize it is by calling it dad death metal. It's very grown up. It's very, it's that, very of itself. And I, I have, love that I have, about I have an it. Interest, I have it's, an interesting story uh, yeah. about that. So Go for it. So my, my mom started, my, my dad passed away about a decade ago. It was really tragic. My parents are married for almost 30 years, 25, 30 years, long time. Obviously devastated my mom, probably devastated my mom more than my brother and me because, you know, that's, for us, it was our dad for her, it was, you know, her partner, the father of her children, the, you know, you know it, that's a different, at least it's a different kind of mourning. I bring this up because some number of years go by, she finally feels like, okay, I am still here and I need to think about me, starts dating again. Great for her. Super, super happy for my mom to, to feel comfortable getting out into the world again. St- starts dating a guy that she knew when she was a lot younger and all this kind of stuff and he really likes music and you know so he and i are chatting obviously because he's the thing of when like you're an adult dating another an adult and both of you have adult children is you know you you have to do boring adult shit like that so we're chatting about music and i'm like i love death metal and he's like i'm not so big on it which i'm not shocked by that and i'm like no you don't understand I love death metal. And so I, I make it like a challenge. I'm like, I'm going to find a death metal record that I can play you. And you'll be oh, like, wow. I may not exactly. want to hear it. but And I literally, I put on that record. I put on the Sweven record yep. in the car. Uh, after I put on Burkutes, the, um, the la or not Burkutes, that's the name of a song. I put on the, the album Sweven by Morbus Crone. Then I yes. put on the Sweven record, The Eternal Resonance, because mm-hmm. they're sort of follow-up things. He turned to me and went, I legitimately like this. This reminds me of the Beatles. It reminds me of Pink Floyd. It reminds me of the Moody Blues. I'm surprised, but I like this. And I was like, yes. I've had one person, I've had a similar experience where (laughs) someone who is not, who knows nothing about metal and has never been interested, not necessarily disliked it, but it just lives in different space and has different experiences that don't relate always to heavy music listens to Sweven in the car with me and I'm like and I'm sorry he's like 
this I've, I, this is death metal? And I said, yes. And he's like, I had no clue. I just, it just, it blew his mind. And I had to say, well, this isn't like all death metal um, because death metal is a very, very multifaceted thing. Um, but it is death metal. And when you listen to it, like you, it just carries you away. And I think he got that and I got that. And like, what, what, what really gets me about that Sweven album and Joe, I'm going to go into you next to see if you actually like this album. And I, <laughs> I think you do. Um, but what I wanted to end on is that album is, is good because it's emotionally moving and it's well-paced. It is, it takes its time. It really, it really like, if it knows a riff is good, it's, it hammers it, but not too long. And it, 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 it has those dynamics that I think Joe is talking about where it's not all on all the time. It like, it backs away. It gives you time to breathe, and then it really comes at you. And I think it's that energy that that really helps uh, draw people to it. Joe, do you like that album? Uh, unfortunately, I've kind of slept on that album. Mm. Um, Change that. Like, you should, I mean, but you're not <laughs> a big. You're not. You don't listen to a ton of death metal, though. And in fact, is it? No. A, well, it, well, the funny thing is, like, I really enjoyed Marbus Krong. Um, like, you would love, I really, yeah. Even even when they got you know, proggy. It's not like I only enjoyed the early stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but for some reason, when I heard the Swevin album, uh, after probably two playthroughs, I just kind of didn't revisit it. Like I didn't feel a desire to, um, didn't have that sticky glue feeling. It, and I feel like it, it's, it's, it's a little too late this year for me to, to probably appreciate it enough to put it on my list, but I feel like it could be very well an album where it's like a year or two from now, like I get back into it. Maybe, especially this will happen. Like touring starts happening and I'm going to go to a festival in Sweden or somewhere and they're going to play it. So I'm like, Oh, okay. Maybe I should go mm -hmm. listen to them again, you know, cause gotcha. I'm going to go see them. And then like, I start really getting into it. And then I'm like, okay, this is now like the sleeper hit of 2020 for me. Gotcha. Um, so I, I definitely like, I know like they're not a band where it's like, Oh no, I didn't like that at all. That's never going to happen. Like, it's sort of like this, it's still kind of murky water that needs to be investigated. Let's switch to Sirith Ungol, which I think, Joe, you like. Um, yeah. I have some evidence of your appreciation for that band in the form of... You an think he likes it? In the, I have, in, in the form of an excellent interview with them. Um, yeah. That was awesome. Uh, Langdon, I think you like Sirith Ungol, right? You like that album? God, yes. Yeah, God, I mean, yes. And I, I think that album is like... It, ah, how do they, they still have it. Like I... They still have I, it. I but feel how do you retain something that long, like in your heart, in your it soul? It reminds me. It reminds me of when Firepower came out last mm -hmm. year, where not not just the legacy band coming back. That part would be kind of a cliche thing, but the kind of you hear it, and the first thing I think is, if you don't like this, you don't actually like heavy metal. Maybe you're more. Maybe you're actually more of a punk person who likes some extreme music. Nothing wrong with that. No hate on that. No. There's something very heavy metal about that record like it captures this ineffable thing that you see in judas priest that you see in metallica that you saw in um well i get i guess like pantera before we found out uh, before people started opening their mouths when they shouldn't have things like like this this thing that you're like oh my god i love heavy metal and that's the thing that I'm so surprised that they didn't lose whatsoever because those those first couple I I love all four of the Seerthungle records before this one but obviously the first two are 
If someone asks for Seer Thungle, you throw them at the first two. First thing. That's done. This one feels like it lives next to those. Like, it, you go on. It it does, but it, it's it's weird because, like, for a long time, I, I feel like that was mostly the Seer Thungle I was familiar with. It was, you know, Frost and Fire and, um, you know, King of the Dead, which are the first two albums. Um, but then I, you know... Probably after seeing them live for the first time, I got into One Foot in Hell and Paradise Lost. And I mean, that's another thing that's fascinating about them is because they ended on a kind of bad note. Like, there are legitimately some of the best songs they ever wrote on Paradise Lost, but it's also got some of the worst clunkers they ever had. And the band hated the recording process to the point that it kind of led to them breaking up. Um, I mean, there were many reasons why, but they were just so unhappy with the whole process. And, and, you know, it's to a notorious level where, you know, the drummer Rob, for a long time, would talk about that as a reason that he just never wanted to give it another shot. Um, so to come back, despite their own personal feeling like like they'd failed in a way, or like things had just fallen apart, and just to kind of hit it out of the ballpark, um, mm-hmm. for me personally, you know, it's it's even like a double level of sort of like this, like they still got it because I was at their first reunion show ever, um, which was the Frost and Fire Festival that. Um, Jarvis, who's, you know, the bassist in the band filling, you know, uh, in now, you know, his band Night Demon, you know, he puts on this festival and uh, I think the last, last year it didn't quite happen, but, um, you know, he eventually convinced the guys, you know, to get back together and, you know, work with them on the new album. But before that, you know, convinced them to get on stage and it was amazing because everyone kind of didn't know. It's like, okay, are, are they going to be good? Like, are they are they going to you know? Especially like Tim with the voice, because you know that voice cannot is, be easy yeah, to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like that's the most fragile thing, and I think in any band when they age is that to a certain degree. Yeah, like your drumming, your abilities, your guitar playing abilities—that—that's one thing. But a voice is so right. fragile. Uh, and and Tim came out and started, you know, going at it, and it was just like everyone in the crowd, their eyes just widened, like, "Holy shit!" What Holy a badass shit. moment, Joe, that you got to experience seeing their first reunion show and like getting yeah. that. You can't translate, and this is what I like about a writing about music because not everyone could be at that show. But also, you can translate what songs they played and like how loud it was, maybe. But you can't. It's harder to say what it felt like to be there. Like, yeah. but the way you describe it, everyone reacted. The crowd said, like, with their bodies, they just they turned up. They they lifted up. They something happened where you said something is going on here with this band. And it, it, when everyone's yeah. singing along with the songs and, you know, mm-hmm. and the band has talked about it, like it was a huge moment for them. And, right. you know, it, it, it was a, look at a silver thumb goal. It's been a slow process of convincing them that they matter. Mm-hmm. I think they were, I think again, like when the band broke up, almost none of them did any music after. Um, I think it was a slow process of rebuilding their confidence that they were a band that actually mattered. Um, and do they ever. Shit. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, so you know, good. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then they put out this album, which sounds like sort of like if it it sounds like the successor to Paradise Lost, but also in that it's like they learned the lessons of what not to do mm-hmm. um, on Paradise Lost and made a better album. 
It sounds um, it sounds of the past and also of the present. I think I wouldn't call it, it the music of the future, but I'd call it. It's very of now. It has vibe now, and it definitely resonates. But it doesn't forget where it came from. Well, that's sort way. of the yeah. thing is that, and mm-hmm. we, we've. We, it's sort of like that mythic core of heavy metal that like certain right. kinds of black metal and trad metal, especially try to tap into mm-hmm. um, that. It's like, it's supposed to feel this way. Like you're, you're digging through a crate. You see a specific kind of cover image. It's maybe a little hokey. It's maybe a little fantastical. It's maybe a little bit like somewhere between Frazetta and like a classic. Um, I mean, they, they traditionally have covers of um of Elric or yep. images of Elric on their cover, and you know, so drawing from Moorcock and stuff like that, mm. or, or Tolkien. It's supposed to have that thing, and then you lift it out and you put it on, and it's this strange kind of. You're like, I need, I own a magical sword now, and I have to go fight an elf. I have to go fight an elf with my magical sword. Yes, um, it's a vampire. The sword is a vampire, and <laughs> I am a vampire, and I live forever fighting the elf. Um, I don't mean that in a joking way. Like it's, it's like, it's that magic that like blind guardian can tap into that when it happens on paper, you're like, this sounds cheesy as hell. And then it happens and you've never seen a room light up like that. And it's just that, that magic. Like, I, I wish I, (laughs) I'm almost mad at Joe for having such a killer interview (laughs) that I didn't want. Like I, we we were talking about it. It's like, we wanted that to be like a special baby in the spotlight because it's fucking awesome interview but that meant i couldn't write about it and i couldn't say the thing about like hearing it made me feel like i was 13 again right in the in the best way of like because obviously if you follow metal not gonna say too much about this obviously but if you follow metal there's a lot of ugly shit that goes on there's a lot of whisper network stuff there's a lot of very open very ugly stuff and that can drive people out of it it can kill their love for it and i can totally understand that and it breaks my fucking heart and then to have something that like no no it's you're instantly the person who fell in love with this stuff mm-hmm. it's just like oh my god that's so like yeah it, yeah it's it's absolutely on my list i just fucking love this album yeah i think when there when there are albums that come out even like and i think this goes and maybe i'm going to open up a bit bigger than i thought i was initially um as a music journalist you listen to a lot of goddamn music, and like I'm opening my eyes real wide and nodding and saying, "Yeah, it's a lot." Um, and then <laughs> yeah. I think Langman says, "Some things do bleed together. They do. Things start to turn into little puddles and little pools, and it becomes a little murky sometimes. But every so often, there's just an album or two that come that comes along, and it, it makes you remember why you put on the same thing sometimes over and over again instead of listening to new music." Like, not not all of us listen to new music all the time. I mean, maybe it's 50-50 for me now. Maybe before I listened to maybe 70% new music. Now it's I'm listening to more older stuff and getting back into stuff that got me into metal. Um, but I think we never want to forget, as journalists, like, why are we doing this? Why are we writing lists? Why are we covering this art? Why are we even here or doing this podcast? It's because we hear this this sound or this music this artwork and it's just like we're just drawn to it and i think this seareth ungall album not for everyone obviously but for a lot of people has that draw langdon's talking about it's that it's that it's that uh, i'm not gonna use that word it's the essence of of i think 
desire in heavy metal. And this is why it's easy to say, if you don't like Seerth Ungol, you probably don't like heavy metal. And like, that's unfair to say. Well, I know that. We yeah. all know that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, there's something no, elemental about them. <laughs> Langdon will <laughs> say it. It's, it's <laughs> sort of like Frost well, and Fire yeah. and not... Just, no, yeah. no. Frost and Fire is a pivotal heavy metal <laughs> record. If you don't think that, you're wrong. No. It's it's like I mean, Crystallogic by Manila Road. Like, you have to... Like, come on. Well, I, I would say... I would say... I mean, it's kind of... Because uh, the the one thing is, and again, often it comes down to voice, which is the funny thing. Because I was going to yeah. mention that with the death metal thing with Sweven and and you know your guys, friends and people you know who were surprised and are like, oh, I like this. I would never think I like death metal. I think the part of a problem for some people to get into a band, even when they're a metalhead, is if the vocals just doesn't click for people because the vocals can be very very distinct. I mean, I know people who don't like King Diamond just because they just can't get no. used to those voices. No. And, and, no. And, and this is and, and, I, and I can acknowledge this and and you know and not begrudge anyone at the same time I am one of the biggest King Diamond fans in the entire universe. I begrudge uh, them I, so fucking much. I I'm begrudging <laughs> them so hard like, like, right now. I like I think Tim Baker's voice is fantastic and and actually, you know, especially cuz I think with the early albums it's it's even a little bit more difficult maybe to, to have kind of got into it because it was very particular but as i feel like he's kind of aged like wine like his his mm. new vocals yeah. like there's a little more gruff to it and it, it 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 really works for me i'm just like oh this is great but i, I can get why people wouldn't like it and, and i can respect that um but but i do know what you mean where it's sort of like uh it, it does have this essence of heavy metal and it's like if you can't at least get someone to say like well I really like the riffs, or I really like the song structure. Like, if if they can't even give that, then it's like, yeah, na- maybe you don't like metal, because uh, this is sort of, metal, yeah. metal, metal. Like it, it, it's the dead center. It's the thing that we kind of talked about with with like with Ride the Lightning, where it's like mm-hmm. when I describe heavy metal, heavy metal that isn't the blues, that isn't um, that isn't rock and roll, heavy metal mm-hmm. that isn't like. Andy O'Connor, actually, it's really, really well noted um, metal writer, mm-hmm. uh, ha- has has a thought about this, that heavy metal is distinct from rock and roll, or at least there are types of heavy metal that are their own genre. Not a subgenre of rock, but their own genre. And I think if you make that claim, you start getting... And we talked about this a bit as well with Judas Priest. And there's so much of what Seer Thungle does, both as a legacy and on Forever Black, that sits so like so close to the center of like heavy metal it does it's like if you were if you God, wanted to I find like just one album that sums up really in a way that's digestible both by the unassuming listener who's never heard de- heavy metal or any sort of metal in their life or very few up into like the hard and true people like like the people talking on this podcast now who listen to heavy metal all goddamn day every day <laughs> and <laughs> If you can find a band that satisfies both ends of that spectrum, then I gotta say you found a really good goddamn band. And like, I think everyone here, and I think everyone on staff, and actually I've never, I, I've not heard one person say a bad thing about that Sierra Thungle album. It might be the Same. greatest heavy metal album of the year. If you wanna look at it from that lens of like, the album for all people, the album for like, all metal, for all, just, just what does it mean to like heavy metal? Well, listen to Sierra Thungol. If you get it, you get it. I got. That. I have. Yeah. 
I have a record I want to throw out now. Let's and I do want it. to throw it out with a completely insane thing that I heard. Okay, so, go for it. So number one on Revolver's list was the new Napalm Death. Right. And mm-hmm. for a lot of people, myself included, I know I know a I'm not gonna say his name because I think he's gonna publish it as his own list later, but I know another writer who doesn't work for Revolver, but it is their number one. They mm-hmm. mentioned that far and away. Absolutely incredible record. Adore it. It's absolutely on my list. I I legit thought when people were buzzing about it that like, okay, this is going to be overblown a bit. Like, I love me some Napalm Death. I love their experimental mid-90s stuff. I love the like occasional experiments that they did in the early to mid-2000s. I think The Code is Red is a great goddamn record. Who doesn't love Scum, Harmony, Dissonant? Like, great band. Love that band. Love them. But I was like, there's... I put it on, blows my fucking hair, but it's the proggiest thing they've ever done. I never saw that coming. The back half, Joe and I have talked about this, is just the Killing Joke record. Yep. I love ki- you. Oh, if I, you don't, I do I, too. Yeah. gotta love Killing Joke. God, so what if, a if you guys care at all about ratings on Metal Archives, which I don't, um, <laughs> but it is, I think it is interesting to note for bands that are huge, like Napalm Death, it is their latest album is is ranked higher. And I'm going back 2000, 1999, 95. It's probably ranked higher than anything since the early 90s. Well, and, is, uh, yeah. And I, I mean, the problem with Metal Archives is you're always going to have... Uh, there are so uh, many fucking problems with Metal Archives. Let's not even yeah. get oh, started. Yeah. But what yeah. I'm saying is that... <laughs> what I'm saying is that for a band with so much history and so much story, where there's so much to like already... And then for them to make something else that you still like is like, where are they going to end? I saw someone call it. <laughs> when are they going to stop? <laughs> I saw someone call that record Buzzy PR Journo Core. Oh, really? <laughs> In the same, and they said that it was a mediocre record put out by a legacy band that got overrated, just like what happened with Firepower by Judas Priest. Did you? And I just about blew my head off. Did you machine gun your uh, your computer to smithereens? I did. He, I he, he's, he's waiting again. He's on the list. Uh, after COVID ends, he'll show up at this person's door with a claymore. And- I'm like, I'm like, are you telling me you think Napalm Death is overrated? And their response was to come swinging for Judas Priest. And I'm like, I hate you so much. <laughs> like, like I'm an adult yeah. man. Yeah. I've been on the internet. You learn how to yeah. contain the like. I'm not going to be easily trolled. I'm not going to fall for flame stuff. Like the, whatever we can. Ha- and then you, and then you say something like that. You push every goddamn button I have, and then oh god, I lose it. Langdon's oh, the elevator in a 100-story building, and that person pushed all 100 buttons. <laughs> who, can, who can listen to that napalm death and be like, this is mediocre? Even if it's not your thing, how can you not hear that? Like, the, this is a band that on paper shouldn't have to try. They're 30 plus years. They can right. headline or get second billing on any festival, any bill that they want. If you can hear it and not hear them like busting their ass, they've got like I mentioned in my review, they have Sonic Youth riffs on it. They have they have Cardiacs riffs on it. They have Voivod riffs on it. The opening track is a nod. Well, they've to always fuck had the Voivod, fact. but it, that's true. But like they bring it like up, yeah. like. And then they still have grind. They still have death metal. Like it's Barney's one of the best vocalists in extreme music. Like I don't oh, yeah. who who is like. Uh, this is, I mean, I mentioned this Barney. before. The um the uh, 
did I did I say something other than Barney? I was open. I, I, I think you said Bernie. I was like, oh, is Bernie Sanders leading Napalm Death? I mean, <laughs> I'd love to kind of great. Yeah, I, but I, I, I meant to say Barney. Um, it, I actually brought up a similar problem to this. So a lot of people will accuse people of overrating legacy bands, and that, this mm. can happen. But I think a far more frequent thing is something that I brought up in in my piece on on Cannibal Corpse. Which is funny, a lot of the people who are big detractors of it really missed the part where I came at swinging out hard in favor of Cannibal Corpse's entire body of work. Um, That someone can be so consistently good that them merely meeting their own standard, people are like, eh. And I'm like, no, Cannibal Corpse is legitimately better than like 60 to 70 percent of death metal that I hear. Which they should be. They've been doing it for so long, and they they constantly they tweak enough. You always get a Cannibal Corpse record, but there's always a spice. Yeah. And Napalm Death is the same way. The only way you could call them mediocre is if Nap- you've gotten used yeah. to like their standard. Right. Napalm right. Napalm Death actually. I mean, it's interesting because I think like there is definitely a thing. You know, <clears throat> I, I think some bands are kind of compared to like Motorhead or ECDC. Like they know what they do and they do it very well. And they, and they stick to that. They play within the boundaries they've set up for themselves, which I think, you know, if you want to call that, you'd say it's a discipline. Like they have a certain realm of a playground that they know they're going to play with, but they're generally not going to go over that line. And they do it very, very well. Um, but if you're aware of that realm that they're working within, it's not this. It's not every song is the exact same. Like. It's it's always a bit different. But then, you know, Napalm Death, I think, is even more experimental. I mean, God, they had saxophone on what was yeah. that album two ago. Um, Utilitarian. I'm, yeah. Napalm Death has always been, you know, for a band that's known as, like, the grindcore band, has generally been pretty experimental. Mm-hmm. That's like, it mystified me. I was like, who? no one that I know who's serious um, even so much as dislikes the record. Maybe they have others above it. I totally understand that. But it is hard like, to dislike is... that album, like in the sense that if you, if anyone listens to a lot of metal, they very much probably will not dislike that album. Yeah, you um, hear it and you're like, Jesus, yeah, yeah God. At, uh, at worst, they'd be like, oh, it's a Napalm Death album. Great, like it's good. Okay, <laughs> that, that's like that's the worst thing you could say about it. Um, yeah. But that, I mean, that's also a great thing to say about it because it's a goddamn Napalm Death album, and that's that that means it's good. I mean, it just um, does. I kind of want to segue into one thing. Uh, Go for it, I've, yeah. I've got probably like what I would consider, and I'll bunch them together rather than because I know we're not going to get to all of them separately. So, again, as we discussed, like I, I definitely enjoy a fair bit of black metal. Um, three really stand out for me this year. Like as Name them all, one after the other. That way we can't interrupt, and then yeah. you won't be able to say all three. Yeah, <laughs> Slam them back. Well, as as we mentioned before, uh, one is definitely the Lamp of Murmur album, uh, era mm-hmm. of ecliptical romanticism. Um, the other one is uh, Malakar Patan, the um, Slovakian band with mm-hmm. uh, Kupensky Ulm. Uh, and then the last one, which which was a surprise for me, kind of came out of nowhere and is just really shot up to my favorites, is uh, from Salt Lake City, uh, Yatul Miktran, um, mm-hmm. Sagrada Tierra del Yagua. Um, that album is, is fucking awesome. Yeah. That album is that album burned my mind, man. It just set everything aflame. 
Uh, it might be on my list too, man. It might be it, on my it, list too. And it's funny because they'd been around for mm. a while, but like their last full length was ten years ago. Um yeah. and and then they dropped this. And again, I was not super familiar with them. I think it was either, you know, uh I, I think, think Decibel you know, covered them. Yeah, well, John, John for Decibel, uh like I was it John? A, yeah. Yeah, he did a premiere for a track. Yeah. He knows his and shit. I, it's good. <laughs> I think it was them and some other site maybe recommended it. So I was like, okay, I'll check this out. And it, it even, you know, before I didn't get a promo or anything. So I just heard like mm-hmm. one track and then it just blew me away. And then I think I reached out to John. I was like, dude, do you have a promo for this? <laughs> and, and then I got it. And I'm just like, yeah, uh, it, it and, and the Malakopatan both. I love how they're so unique in they're very cinematic in that they're taking to you a certain place and they're using everything at their disposal where it's just beyond just like guitar and drum and bass and vocals, like little, snap you know sound bits samples like bells and whistles just all sorts of other instrumentation and like i really feel like with the maliko patsan album like i feel like i'm in like the slovakian town and there's like a witch trial going on like it really brings me into that um so it's immersive in that way yeah it's very yeah and, and i love their style because it's very much uh, it's black metal, but it's very rooted in '80s heavy metal, uh, okay, which is, yeah. is 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 definitely something that you know. If you look at Masters Hammer and other bands of that region in Roots, um, you know there's a tradition of that, so it, it doesn't come out of nowhere. Um, but you know, it, it, it's weird because it's like a black metal album that you could play with Sirithungal and it would fit. Like the riffs right. kind of fit with each other, um, and then with. Um, and again, I have to keep looking it up because like, I always say pronunciation. Yaddle Mil- Yaddle Milkan. Milkan. Yeah. Milkan. And I'm sure I we're butchering it. Wrong, it. But- we're, we're a bunch of white dudes. I mean, there's no way we're going to say it right. <laughs> it's just not happening. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's the same thing with that. Like it, they, they put enough atmosphere in it that it really brings me to this sort of like other realm. Like, I, like mm-hmm. I'm imagining seeing sort of like, you know, Aztec or Mayan America and, and seeing, you know, a ritual being performed, um, you know, maybe to, to Thunder God or something like that. And, um, you know, and, and, and the riffs are so good. And the other thing, too, which, which is very interesting, and both bands actually kind of do, is like there's a lot of like it, 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 there's some musical cues taken from like the Viking black metal kind of style of things, like the choral kind it of chants. does have, um, like it really yeah. at times reminds me of Bathory. I'm like, God, I'm getting like a Bloodfire Death slash Hammerheart kind of vibe here. Like they're pulling yeah. from that. They're they're taking it's like, and I was explaining to someone, I was like, you know, what uh, Yaro Miklan, like, what does it sound like? I'm like, imagine like that kind of period of Bathory, but instead of Sweden, they were from Mexico, right. But like, they're from Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, well, they're originally from Mexico. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think they have Mexican <laughs> descent. Is the yeah, but they live yeah, in Salt yeah, Lake yeah. City, right? Yeah, yep. they're, they're, but they wrote the album in Spanish. Um, yes, yes, the and, whole album is about. Spanish. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, it's sort of that transplanted yeah. deal there. But it's very, yeah, it very feels rooted in in their culture, and at the mm-hmm. same time, it's unabashedly metal, but they're able to like pull you into their um their you know perceived world uh that, yeah. that they're creating i think it's a space we often or sorry it's a space we don't often get invited to or let's say exposed to is that of 
um, uh, you know, heavy metal south of the United States border, you know, from South America. I think more so South America than Mexico, uh, we hear black metal from. Um, and while they're from Salt Lake City, obviously with Mexican descent, like what we do here is like that might that might sum up everything we almost know about that region is that if we only have a few bands to pick from. Um, now, that might be a matter of access and also might be a matter of distribution, whatnot. But suffice it to say that that album, I think, helps put that scene and that that sort of cultural awareness, let's say, on the map for black metal, and I think that's they're, that's yeah. of resounding importance. They're they're um, not the yeah. they're not the first band to do that. No, of I course think, not. I but they mean it matters. They've, yeah, they've done it better than a lot. Um, <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's like, really. I I love playing it for people and having almost that implicit challenge of looking at them, and be like. You try to fucking tell me this is like a diversity pick. You try you try that. Try right. to say this is an excellent heavy metal. Just see if you can articulate those words while hearing these riffs that you can look me in the eye and be like, no, this is just someone trying to do some some liberal kind. It's like, no, this is incredible. No. Like the amount <laughs> it's of It's definitely not appropriation the, or anything. It's 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 the real deal. It's good stuff. Yeah, there's there's yeah. there's a palpable like ra- experiential rage that they're able to tap into and mythic grandeur and it, uh, yeah it's 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 everything that i love about heavy metal coming from it, yeah it's it's great well, i think it, we it, all agree on that album yeah. I again think i thought do. you guys yep. were overblowing it and then i listened what, to it and i was like oh jesus they're right <laughs> one, oh, one final thing that, like <laughs> one final Go for thing it, that i'd like to yeah. tell and, and lamp of murmur doesn't quite do that. It, it was we talked about lamp of murmur is very rooted in in sort of the second wave like it could have come out in 1996 and no one really would bat an eye um but you know i think they just do that really well i think they're the best example of doing second wave black metal to a mm. perfect t and, and that's why it's yeah. it's it's a really good album. Also, their Dead Can't Dance cover is one of my favorites ever. Like, I love bands that can take music like that and put it into something like black metal or death metal. Right, right. And, and make it its own thing. Like, I really yeah. love that cover. I think um, I think but, it says enough that you like that band and that album. Like, I expect you to like that album. Langdon, I didn't expect you to like that album, and I'm happy that you do, because I like that album, and I really didn't expect to like it either. Um we all like that album. Yeah. Yeah. Normally, I'm a big old hater of that shit. Like, I, I I'll admit, I'm just normally a hater. Um, and then I hear it, and I'm like, No, this is it's great. It's so good. Are, are superb and sharp. They they have. Ju- so I know John hates the the usage of the word angular when describing music. Oh, I love music, writing that word. God, how else do you just? I say like we all know what we mean when we say that, yeah. and then someone is like, "Well, I don't know what it means." Be like, "Good job, you don't understand metaphors." Everyone clap. <laughs> like, um, but the it has that like proggy, king crimsony angularity, but then it will know when to shift into buzzsaw yep. land. It knows when mm-hmm. to do these sort of like. That's the thing is that like one of the reasons why I tend not to like second wave stuff as much, um, or near at all. Um, is that a lot of people wind up, it's the problem making like a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Like they don't, they're not copying where the second wave people got their ideas from. They're copying the second wave bands or worse, they're copying bands who copied second wave bands. And so you get this slow congealing of, and that's absolutely not the case for him. It feels like that same, like when you're hearing uh, Bathory or Hellhammer or something for the first time and it's, it's only crusty because it had to be, not because 
they wanted it to. Like they, you could hear that in their minds they were making heavy metal symphonies like Ozzy Osbourne and Judas Priest, but they didn't have that budget. Mm. Now, obviously, he could have made it sound a different way, but he conjures that feeling, and that's the important thing. Like, some people think it needs to feel like a cassette, and it's like, no, it needs to sound like a cassette, but feel like a symphony. Right. And he. God, what a good way to say it, Langdon. I like Uh, that. I like your point about how, like, I think part of the problem when bands really, you know, grab onto something, like, oh, we want to be like this, and, and they just really and sometimes try to copy that but they have no understanding at least it doesn't show that they have an understanding of what it went into the music that they like so much like i like it's like if you want to have a band where you're like we really want to sound like bathory it's like okay before you play a bathory song learn how to play motorhead kiss and gbh like that's mm-hmm. how you yeah. get to bathory it's sort of that that in a way, what you're saying, in the, uh, obviously a little bit more theoretical sounding, but you know it, that that helps negate the, uh, the 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 simulacrum sort of feel of like copies of copies of copies. If you go back and understand not what the bands you like like, but what the bands you like like who those people like. Like if if you go back farther than you go forward from your reference point of time of what kind of music you're trying to emulate create Mm -hmm. work in the style of um you just you end up i think making better music not because you're trying any differently or any harder or less hard it's just that you have more ammunition in your mind to shoot at your instruments to shoot at your production to shoot everywhere as far as like what sounds have been made why did why were those sounds made and then what did those sounds do for future sounds to be made like the more you know about that i think the better off you are, but that's not the key. It's just the tool. Um, many great albums have been written in vacuums. Plenty of great albums have been written in full context of everything going on. So not really hard and fast rule, but just something I've observed is that if you really pay attention to who influences you, what who influenced those people, um, it helps you get somewhere. Somewhere a bit farther than maybe you would have gotten before. So Now I'm going to do three records mm. all back to back. Do it. Mm-hmm. Um, these will not be surprised. I, I mentioned them literally as I was writing about them in it, where I was like, I guarantee you these are going to be on my year-end list. And shock and surprise, they were. Um, Arazzi Pazuzu. Mm. Uh, Ulcerate. And then that Mare Cognitum uh, Spectral Lore collaborative record. Absolutely. Each of them, I absolutely called it. I was like, I, I know what I'm feeling right now. There's no way these aren't going to be on my year-end list. There's, there's literally no way. You already mentioned Swevin. Those were the big four mm. that I looked at them on the – sweet uh, shock and awe. We keep a spreadsheet with what comes out when so that we can keep track of it. There, and we never have everything. Never. There's so much. I've always much. had stuff earlier um, too and everything. So, yeah, it's big now. Then people surprise drop like seven albums and whatever. But I looked at those and I was like, I haven't heard a note. I guarantee you I'm going to love them. Not because I'm trying to love them. I just like it. it, It's it's always touched me. It's that wonders. The wonders astrology of nine, the whole planetary thing they did. Mary Cognitum and spectral lore. And Langdon, you reviewed the album and did a really good job. Um, That album is really, really good. I, I'm not putting it on my year end list though. 
because it's literally like number 21 and number 11. It's like the one that I have to cut, even though I don't want to. <laughs> but I did write at length about Spectral Lore and my love of some of his other work. And so I felt like I've talked enough about Spectral Lore and Mary Cognitum. Everyone knows they're great. Um, God, that album is really good. It's hard to say, it's hard to pick at- other albums over it. I will say the Ulcerate is, will be on my list. That Ulcerate album is... Yeah. Is, it left me speechless. It's so good. It might. It's it's going to be pretty high on my list too. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to talk about it today though. <laughs> I've gone to enough therapy. I, I've written about ulcerate before. My mm. relationship with them. I've gone yes. to enough therapy that my relationship isn't exactly the same with ulcerate anymore. Mm-hmm. Thank God, because that means the therapy's working. Um, but but yeah, there. And I mentioned this actually in a review that I did of Shrines of Paralysis um, at Treblezine. And I mentioned this as well when I was talking about Stare Unto Death and Be Still, uh, or Stare Into Death and Be Still. I forget which one it is. That the thing that I love about them is they make like emotionally transparent death metal. It's one mm-hmm. of the biggest problems that we have in extreme metal, I think, is that outside of something like doom metal, where you can you can hear how you're supposed to feel with a doom mm-hmm. metal record. That's pretty and even a traditional heavy metal record and a thrash record. Meanwhile, once you get into death and black metal. Their sound often doesn't actually capture their core. Like, people will assume death metal is angry music. Have you ever been to a death metal show? No one's angry to death metal show. You're having a ball. Um, There's certain ones like, I don't know, like Exist or Cynic or things like that that do sound a lot closer more immediately. Uh, Do they reveal their emotional core? But... Something like black metal, you, you tell it to someone that, like, when you're hearing it, you think more about, like, mythic grandeur. Like, people talk about, like, feral and, like, dangerous black metal. But I'm going to be honest, most of the, most of that Lord of the Rings LARPing doesn't feel dangerous to me. But that's not why I'm going there. I'm going because no. of records like Hammer, like Hammerheart. Mm-hmm. Like, again, Bathory for me is, like, the center of black metal. They... Mm-hmm. There may be better black metal bands, but Bathory is the one that's like, that is the, the dead center of black metal for me. The, the first four Bathory are, the, are the, the heart of black metal, I think. I wonder, Langdon, if the word yeah. oceanic sort of speaks to what you're saying. It's this, how do you yeah. say that? It's like when you see something so beyond your existence, yourself, that you're just like in awe. Like, is that something? So, I feel so that. I, I, yeah. I co I co-host um uh, It's an emotional feeling, yeah. Sent- yeah. So I co-host another podcast called Death Sentence with the editor in chief of Heavy Blog is Heavy, who's another fantastic website. Like, mm-hmm. Huge fan of their work just in general. And we were talking about something in another book, and he cited a book called I think like Mega Objects. I forget exactly what it is. Um I can't find the exact name of the book right now, but it's a theory book that basically posits the thing that you're talking about, things that are so vast in scope or scale that they they break our systemic human ability to understand. They break language. uh, Yeah. Grappling with climate collapse is such a big thing that people i mean that's where we get things like well you should use more less plastic and we shouldn't use straws and or and trying to tell someone's like no it's so much bigger than that mm-hmm. god bless you for trying to grasp it but it is so much bigger or likewise things like cosmological scales of time or cosmological distance that's where you get like techno utopians who are like well i'm gonna we're gonna fly to the next exoplanet and be like trying to tell them like you really do not grasp how far away these things are exactly like scalar objects that are so vast that you really 
there isn't any way to understand them. Like, we feel like 2020 has taken a long time. The last dinosaur, as we understand them, died out 65 million years ago. And trying to, like, press that on to people where it's like, humanity's ancestors were born about 400,000 years ago. And it's one of those things where it's like, even those time spans are absolutely nothing. They're a pittance in compared to the universal time spans. And I think, Langdon, what you're talking about and what I've sort of opened up here is I think what I have used to associate two things as far as the website goes, A, Heavy Metal, and B, the name of the website. Heavy Metal being, of course, that music that captures that, I think, let's not call it greatness for connotation of that word, but let's say yeah. grandiosity. Um, but also, Invisible Orange is like, what What does your body do when you're faced with such unparalleled humongousness or, or such intense input? Um, let's say you're standing at the Grand Canyon for the first time, and it's you see it, you knew it was going to be big. You've seen pictures of it. You've seen video. But you stand in front of this thing and you're like, that is big fucking hole in the fucking ground. And like, <laughs> you're just floored by how big this sucker is. And then you think, this is just a little crack on a little planet floating in a little fucking space. And once you zoom out far enough, you're just kind of left without words at how insignificant or small you may be in this grander picture. And I think... Part of the Invisible Orange's stance or the the gesture and then part of, I think, not all, but part of heavy metal is identifying with that scope. It's not necessarily philosophical and it's not necessarily religious, but it's just, it's almost human. And it's that you realize just by nature of your physical existence that you cannot impact these greater forces that actually <laughs> go to determine a lot of what goes on well, in your life. I, I, I want to I'll, I'll leave it there. Um, go for it. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm getting a little bit lost. So how, 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 <laughs> does yeah. this, how does this connect to how you felt about those albums you mentioned? So it's so that feeling. I can, I can make it more direct okay. for me. The thing, and I, I, I covered this in my, in my piece on um, the destroyers of all for me, mm-hmm. ulcerate, taps very directly into that sensation Mm -hmm. like the title of it i think they used to speak very elliptically in the way that a lot of um heavy metal does where you speak more in metaphor or poetic gesture they just said it straight the name of their newest record is is the meditative mantra of the band and i don't mean that again in any kind of flippant or cute way i mean like one of the things that i have severe issues with anxiety and depression i've written about that before and i'm also a human that's alive in 2020 it's not shocking um but one of the things that's always troubled me is grappling with the the notion of death and the notion of the the foreverness of death how vast that is how like the notion that you you weren't you non-existed for billions of years and then you non-exist for an infinite number of years after and that scalar terror mm-hmm. and this is something that's a root of a lot of meditative practice regardless of whether you're religious or not because oh, it's a yeah. very common anxiety mm-hmm. and ulcerate hearing them the sound of it feels the way the anxiety feels in my body when I think about that Absolutely. when I'm overwhelmed by it but also the way that they sort of dialectically synthesize that feeling with the body, with groundedness through playing their songs. It 
feels like when I'm meditating on that the way that my therapist taught me to and sort I of think working through the feelings. In that sense, and Langdon, I'm very much vibing with what you're saying and like I'm fully on this wavelength. And I think this album is climbing up my list in my mind even further as we talk about it because I, when I listen to that album, I feel I don't feel as though I'm dying or that I'm having a, a death experience or some kind of analogy of that. I feel like I feel like I'm getting closer to being where I would be at, close to death. Thinking, how am I going to come to terms with this? Like I'm, yeah, like- I'm starting to. It's it's like the beginning of the approach to the approach almost. It's it's it, it's music. It's, it's so an act of process. In comparison to death, music is light. Like death is real. Music is 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 sound waves. Um, but death metal attempts to bridge, I think, what we consider art and what we consider raw human experience. Um, and so, like, maybe I, music I, does I think this, but death metal does this really well in scope of like this whole oceanic thing we're talking about, but also the fact that death is our connection to the universe. It's connection to the ultimate being there's nothing more ultimate than dying unfortunately yeah and it's it yeah it it, 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 it's it's such it lays bare that emotional core that i think a lot of people struggle to to find in these things if if they're not fans of them like if you are a fan you don't need to be told that there is an emotional experiential core to art that you love it's a fucking duh like that's why i like it but (laughs) i can play this for people and they get it and that's important to me because you also want to be understood. Right. And so there's that combination of like, yeah, it's just this intense, terrifying, but like calming and serene thing. Yeah. And then for the other ones, it's it's very similar. A lot of um, the Aransi and the uh, Spectral Oromare Cognitum uh, collaborative record actually live in a similar mental space for me. Um, they come at it from different angles, though. Like, there's the primal physicality of that Aronsi Pazuzu record. Like, it's great psych and kraut rock in the way that it bursts mm. into being body music. The same way that, like, when, when you're moshing or, like, that... There's that moment when you're hearing live black metal where you kind of, like, close your eyes and start, like, tensing your fists. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'm the only one who does no, that. No, I know like, I know precisely you, what you're talking about. Okay. Exactly yeah. what you mean. Yep. Yeah, and it's like, it, it becomes a thing of the body. Like, you're Absolutely. feeling it. You're not thinking it. You're not rationalizing it or making it cerebral. It's a, it's a primal, physical thing. It becomes, like, spinal cord shit, not, like, brain yeah. shit. Yeah. And, like, Wanderer is actually, this is going to sound weird to people, maybe, did the same thing that Imvald did. Imvald or Imwald? I don't know how to pronounce it. Imvald, it's Swiss-German, but German nonetheless. Okay, Okay, so I I assumed it. Uh, Yes. Um, In that I went to sleep listening to it. Now, this sounds weird, maybe, like like it's a detraction, but it's... I don't know what it is. If I have a record on, nor I listen to records pretty loud. Shocker. Um, especially heavy metal. Um, it's more that, like, the sensation becomes so overwhelming that I kind of, like, daydream into sleep and have these, like, really intense dreams. Like, really crazy, mm. bonkers dreams. And that, not everything does that for me. I can put on some record really loud and be like okay this is pretty good but like when a record feels like it pushes me into fever dreams and things like that i'm you know you're starting to tap into like that i think not a lot of people have access to these let's call them powers of music 
a lot of people want this access, but not everyone's mind or brain or personality really works that way. But I think a lot of people can get close or to what you're saying is where music is more than just nodding your head in the car and saying, oh, this fucking rocks or badass riffs, man, and high five him. Like you can actually sit down and have a deep, meaningful experience with this stuff. And like yeah, when change it, your perception on things and have dreams. <laughs> it feels it's like powerful. a magic spell. Yeah. Like like it ha- like you start seeing these like fevered visions of like people with like crowns of flame emerging from an ocean of stars, <laughs> and, sh- and you're like, oh fuck, like, like oh fuck shit. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, with, this with, is so metal. With that, and and especially with what you were talking about before, with sort of the like yeah. kind of the unexpressive terror of like geological time of astronomical time. Mm -hmm. It's funny because it's all very Lovecraftian just, you know, especially it's sort of like Lovecraftian, especially when we were talking about Ulcery, it's Lovecraftian. If you sort of like burn away Lovecraft's sort of aesthetic choices, but like the physics of it is still there. Mm -hmm. Um, It's funny. That's actually where, so there have been to to, to sort of touch the obvious bugbear that comes up when you bring up Lovecraft. That's been the prevalent, that's been the prevalent argument for um, counter reads of him, that obviously they're a horrifically racist dude. He actually had some really interesting letters near the end of his life where he started to walk back a lot of those things and view it as like buying into foolish things that the anger of a young man can. But even disregarding that, he put some horrible things to pen or to paper. But yeah. that that thing that you mentioned is the part that when people mention like, well, if we can cut out those parts that are ugly and horrible and should be cut out and should be disposed of, like just deleted. We can pull this thing out. That's a very real thing. And yeah, that uh, like we, we could talk for like a billion hours on Let's Lovecraft. Not, heavy right metal. before like, we're about to undeniable. end our year end saying we're going to open up Lovecraft. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to, to our audience here, I think we may do an episode on Lovecraft because that would be interesting. Let's put it this but way. We're we are, definitely, we are going definitely to, going to do that. That's a cool idea. Put a pause idea. on that for, for yeah. later. Yeah. It feels too obvious not to do yeah, Like, yeah. I'm sorry, guys. If you're like, why are they going to? We have to. Like, you yeah, have to check in the box. Let's, just, let's call it here. Hey, hey, Joe Langdon, uh, it was excellent talk talking about some of our favorite albums of 2020, but also some of the mechanics of how of all these favorites work and how we talk about year end and blah, 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 blah. No, it was excellent talking tonight. And I think my favorite part of the discussion was talking about this, this great, tremendous, overwhelming surge of feeling that you can get with some albums that we love. And I think we all experience this just with different albums, but that's, Hey, that's the plurality of, of, of taste and art. And I think that's what makes a, the website good. We got plenty of different tastes from all across the spectrum But B just what makes heavy metal good is that the farther you dig, the wider it gets. Um, let's leave it there. So, Hey, everyone, thanks for listening. We'll be back with you in another episode uh, soon. See ya. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to Screaming Bloody Oranges, the Invisible Oranges podcast, via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and other streaming services. We'll make a post on our website at www.invisibleoranges.com to accompany the release of each episode. Visit us anytime for more in-depth heavy metal coverage that goes a step above and beyond.